Intro music goes here. Eventually. Maybe. In the future. If we have a future. Let's pretend we have a future. Okay. Let's do this. He sort of was an expert person at like gradual pressure, you know, like story mm -hmm. pressure. Like mm -hmm. it would gradually just become more and more engaging. At first you're like, what is this? And then all of a sudden you're hooked. And then all of a sudden you're like, I've been listening to this for an hour and a half. So nice. um, he has a deep voice. He, I think, so I worked at an ad agency in Chicago and he was in the, in the elevator. And uh, I, because I was a, f a sort of a weird fan of his, I knew what he looked like. Uh, he's not like a very recognizable person particularly, but I was just like, he's he's quite old. And uh, I heard him say something to someone in the elevator and I was just like, you know, like you have that like flashbang <laughs> moment where you're like, that's, that's blah, blah, blah. And so it was Ken Nordine. And, uh, and I, I mean, I was just super geeked and I was just like, you're Ken Nordine. And he was like, yeah, I was like, oh, I love your, your stuff on. On the uh, on on NPR, and so he had a total moment where he was like, he went into like, because he was probably you know at someone who he sees as a client, you know. So yeah. he was like, well, you should go to my website to listen to more. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he he actually he literally gave you an elevator pitch at work. <laughs> I guess he did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excellent. He didn't know that I was just some goofus, you know, like I wasn't anyone who could ever hire Kent Nordine, but but it was cool that he was in the elevator. Well, yeah, come on, man. I mean, I, I love how our heroes have a much lower bar for their fandom. I think that, that tends to make them more accessible. Although I'm sitting here, I can only remember your stories, guys. I, I can't remember one for myself at all. But Oh, my all God, Taylor, whatever. I'm sure you've had them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I, it I, just didn't end well. <laughs> I, will, I will blast forth. I mean, the best I can do off the top of my head is... Um, I was walking down the street outside the House of Blues in Chicago, and I walked by Common, and um, he was talking to this woman who was just totally freaking out. And I looked at him, because I'm not like a huge Common fan. I'm just aware of him and, and think he's a cool guy. You know, just like, like, have you guys been listening to Chance the Rapper at all? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh. So I, I cannot get into chance's music and i think he's the <gasps> coolest fucking How? oh it's well, so nice i so so okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna have to ask hung later to give me like the top <laughs> three songs to listen to but i've been having these old man moments in class where i kind of can't get with it but i really really respond to the fact that he's supporting chicago <laughs> the chicago mm -hmm. public school system and then giving a bunch of shit to rounder even though the guy's like 24 or whatever so my my standard for what makes a cool pop star is, is definitely changing. But so I was walking by common <laughs> and he was a really tall guy. Cause he could, he could look me in the eye. I'm really tall too. And, and I was walking by him and I looked at him and I must've looked at him like, huh, do I know that guy? And then he looked me in the eye and he was like, yep. <laughs> Whoa. So he just gave me this tiny nod, which said, yes, you know who I am. I'm that famous guy. It's nice to see you too. He he just packed so much into that little glance. I thought it was very nice. That's pro. But that's I mean that's all I got. I, I'll think of a better one later. <laughs> so <laughs> so so welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Oh, hey there. Thank you. Yeah, we um, I can kick us off official like. Do it. Maybe. Okay. Cool. Um, because I I I I rely on the structure so. 
So here we go with the structure. Um, uh, welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and, and lessons learned. We're joined by this episode's guest, Hung No. Greetings. Hi. So my name is Rob Ray. I run the Exoskeleton Art Space in Los Angeles, and I'm also an experienced director at an interactive agency here in Los Angeles. Oh, wow, that was fast. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm Taylor Hokinson, newly tenured faculty at Columbia College. Boom, boom, boom. And, boom, boom. Uh, and I've got a sabbatical coming up for this year. So, Hong, I'm looking at you. Let's do Wait, some projects. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Let's do projects. No, I'm, I'm very excited because it's, it's I think I've been teaching for 13 years, and it's the first time I really have a large you know, period of time I get to uh, dedicate to studio practice. So I'm super excited about it. So that's that's what I'm getting into right now. Do people normally get sabbaticals right after tenure? I think it's common. So usually at institutions, it's seven years in between each application. Um, so generally, yeah, they've been working in the trenches. And then the first time you're allowed to apply is immediately following. Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. Oh, Yeah. Um, I am Hung O, and um, I'm an artist based in Chicago at the moment. I've been kind of um, itinerant for a few years, but now I'm more solidly based here. Um, my work is multidisciplinary. I do I work with a lot of textiles, do a lot of performances, sculpture, collaborations. I work with video, sound. I kind of do everything, usually not painting, but sometimes <laughs> I paint. <laughs> what, what kind of artist are you, a not painter? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's how, that's how, I don't know, that's how sometimes sure. people describe me, but then I'm, sometimes I paint, and I'm like, oh, I, I kind of like this, this is nice too. No, but um, yeah, conceptual and research-based, typically I do a lot of uh, collaborations I mentioned that already um, the project that I'm working on right now has been in the process for three years um, I started the research three years ago and have been it's been kind of off and on and then I started doing the um, the, the production in earnest about a year ago and it's um, started with looking at the police records of a Vietnamese woman that was part of the anti-colonial movement um, part of the resistance against the French, and um, and then through her records, her name is Nguyen Timing Kai, and uh, through her records found out um, much more uh, than I expected about the movement in general, the surveillance that was used against the resistance, and then the way that people were evading that surveillance. And then because of that, there's because of all of these different layers of you know, evasion and, you know, kind of uh, uh, these, these different layers of, of um, obfuscation, all of those kinds of things, you know, it's really difficult to have trust in the original document or the way mm-hmm. that we tell this history. So, you know, within that is a kind of like questioning of these historical events or, or um, narratives, um, particularly around these mythologized figures. Um, does it have a title yet well there's um right now there's a an exhibition up of the project it's 
called to name it is to see it but it's that's an, that's the name of the exhibition and I haven't quite decided if it will be the name of the entire project so I'd like to flesh it out through a few other um, exhibitions and then uh, maybe one day I'll figure out a, a title for the whole thing it will occur to me um, awesome yeah that's cool Thanks. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, that reminds me, and Rob, tell me if this is you too, but man, I, I really don't like bringing any projects to an end. <laughs> and uh, and yeah. I, I can really dig that method of working where, because Hung, were you doing a Fulbright or you actually went and researched and referenced libraries in Vietnam, right? Yeah, I, so it started in France. I was doing research in the um, overseas territories archives there which mm -hmm. is in, in X in the, the south of France. And then um, and then I got a Fulbright to go to Vietnam, so continued the research for a half of last year. And, um, and I mean, it got to a point, for me, it's like I have to, uh, I have to stop the research at a certain point in order mm -hmm. to start making the work. And then once, once I get the work going, it feels really good to have some kind of, I mean, if not conclusion, some, some, you know, moment to present it and reflect on it. And then I feel like I can move on from there. Um, I don't, yeah, I really like that part of it, of realizing the project. Um, but it is always really difficult to figure out what that, that final point is. Yeah, dude. And, and I think it's interesting that you introduced yourself sort of talking about all these different media, because I really feel like one of your primary identifiers is politics, at least over the last couple of years that I've tracked your work. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I mean, definitely my work has always been political in nature. You know, I think that's at a um, certain times it might be called more social, political, but it's mm. always had that aspect to it. It's always, um, I mean, definitely in relationship to understanding understanding ideology, understanding like language and the construction of difference, identity, um, national identities, um, all of those kinds of things. And all of those are, are matters of, they're matters of politics, but they're matters of the body and how we uh, perform, you know, our identity. So, you know, yeah, it's like definitely political, but then there's like, uh, there's, there's these other aspects of it that um, go beyond the typical realm of what you consider political. Yeah, yeah, and and often it seems like language is a sort of manifestation or a component of mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. or sort of represents that Absolutely. merging of, yeah. of who a person is and how they are in the world. Do you think you could describe a, a work, uh, particularly the visual elements, either uh, the thing that's up at the DePaul Art Museum right now or some other work that you think is... Uh, you know, typifies your practice? You know, I've had such a kind of, like, diverse practice that I've always had a really difficult time, like, choosing something that typifies it. But mm -hmm. one project mm -hmm. that I did really recently, or, I mean, pretty recently, that I felt, like, really helped me to understand where I wanted to go forward um, and also kind of pulled together a lot of things that I had been thinking about over the last few years was a project, um, it was a video that I made with my sister and my niece where we are listening to a recording of my mom singing a song in Vietnamese and trying our best to imitate it. 
And the project <laughs> is called The Voices in Archive. It's very simple. We made it in one afternoon um, with just a few takes, each of us, you know, and then I edited it together very quickly. And, you know, it has, it still has that feeling to it. There's, I've left a lot of the kind of, you know, the, the outtakes in the, the final video uh, to gesture towards that process. And we're all kind of failing in these really different ways, you know, even though my, <laughs> my sister and I have some Vietnamese, we're just like terrible at the singing. And, you know, we just like are, I mean, you know, we're not, we're not, we're trying, we're concentrating too much on the meaning sometimes, you know, my niece is like nailing it. Um, many times, <laughs> even though she doesn't have any Vietnamese at all. And you hear in her voice, her first language was Mandarin. Mm -hmm. She was adopted, which she's really proud of. So, you know, I can say this. She's, she tells everyone, everybody <laughs> this. So she's, she's pronouncing things with a very kind of Mandarin uh, pronunciation for consonants. So it's just beautiful, these things that come out. And my mom, she's always sung, you know, ever since I was little, she always sang and she had like this, she has this really gorgeous, vulnerable voice. And it's just even more vulnerable as she gets older. So it's amazing to just have this moment to... Um, uh, to think about this, you know, this lineage, you know, that just, it's, of course, it's this broken kind of lineage, but it, this lineage that exists, and to think of what kind of, uh, what kind of an archive exists within something like our voice, you know, within the body, and what kind of, you know, layers of history we wear on ourselves all, all the time. So that wow. one, I mean, nice. it's a one, it's a single channel video with our, you know, three videos, me and my sister and my niece, and then you hear the, also my mom's voice. And it was a really important one for me because I was working in the middle of this very different type of archive, which is like documents, texts, you know, all of this stuff that's like, it's, it carries the weight of history, um, you know, as, as we value it as, as a society, um, and it was a really important one for me to make in order to understand that possibly it doesn't, possibly I can think about an undoing of that in some way. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's really cool. It reminds me too, I mean, it's, I don't know, Rob, about your motivations for starting the podcast. You were the one who had the initial idea, but I do feel like as I get older, I try to make more of my work um, naturally give me opportunities to hang out with people that I like. <laughs> and yep. So, you know, mm -hmm. because it's harder and harder once you have kids and all these other old people problems. Um, I could imagine Hung, one of the reasons that you got into it was just to spend some time with, uh, with your family. Is that true? You know, my family and I have been working on things for the past few years. We, um, mm -hmm. we have like quite this interesting family culture where we have these very, we, we have these annual things that we do. Like it's either like a talent show or we do like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, these very elaborate games or, um, like this last year we did, um, the story core day of listening. And my family is really big. We have 24, five of us total just on my side wow. um, of my my four sisters and my brother and then they all have kids 
So, you know, doing a day of listening where one person interviews another person, it, it took like a few days. It, it was many days of listening, actually. <laughs> so um, I think actually those kinds of low-pressure activities warm them up. You know, I used to try and get them involved in the art all the time, and they, you know, it was always just really awkward. Um, but I think those kinds of things, it got them used to us working together. And so, you know, we did this video, and it was really, really natural for us to do it together. And then recently my sister and my three nieces came to visit in Chicago, and um, I asked them to be a part of this video that is showing as part of this this project. And um, they were they were really good. There was one niece that was a little bit reluctant, but I mean, I don't blame her. That's you know, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> um, but you know, reluctant in a very teenager way. You know, she's like. No, I don't want to do it. No, I don't want to do it. And then when she gets into it, it's like completely crazy dancing, you know, all over the yeah. place. I really like the idea of a of a talent show as being a part of a thing that um, a family does because it just seems like a really interesting way to be able to express yourself in mm -hmm. a way that like, I don't know, is feels somewhat safe, but also allows you to kind of maybe let let some of your family members in on who you are in a way that isn't like an awkward conversation. Nice. Yeah, completely. And I mean, you know, it was always the um, the kids that would do the talents. And my dad. <laughs> yeah. My dad would always present like Tai Chi or something like that. And then the kids would do like piano or et cetera. But yeah, it was like, um, it was a way that we could, like living far away, we could have this window into what activities they're working on and one year we did it amongst the adults we had kind of a show and tell like hey this is what I'm doing or this is something interesting that I want to share with you well that's great I yeah. just I, I can't cool. even imagine the large family angle I've got I've got such a small circle although now that there's kind of one grandkid for a million grandparents the pendulum <laughs> swinging in the other direction you know all right, what do you think? Should we look at some inventions? Let's do it. So our challenge, just as a reminder, is uh, I don't care. You pick real recorded and random decision-making um, brought by our last guest, Nick Bontrager, from last time, who was doing our stand-up comedy episode. So he gave us, um, you know, R Rob mentioned to me, as a very polite aside, you know, wow, things got a little academic last time. <laughs> and I had to remind myself, like, oh, I, I just thought that's how people talk. But, you know, that's um, that's that's the ivory tower in me. I think we were just ready to go with the first thing. Are you guys ready to see a thing? Yeah. Who, 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 would, uh, who would like to go first? Uh, let's see. We, uh, I think usually we just do, what is it, uh, me and then... The guest and then you, or is it me, then you, then the guest? Yeah, typically one of us goes first. I feel like just so our guests mm -hmm. sort of get a sense of how to like fit in the pocket, you know, of like describing the piece and stuff, because it's a little bit weird at first. But um, Yeah, why don't, why don't you go first to change it up? Okay, cool. Um, so one of the things we often do is upload a little bit of our work and then have the other two people look at it and mm -hmm. talk about it. So that way it becomes less um, lecture-like in, you know, the describing of the work and lets other like people's... It's a bad thing. <laughs> and lets other, other people's, uh, you know, experiences of the work sort of come through. And, and uh, that way also 
that also the creator doesn't sort of feel burdened by having to like go through everything in detail. Um, I uploaded a small zip file to mm-hmm. the. Okay. To um, the. Uh, I've got it. Slack channel. Okay, I see it now. Oh, I knew there were balloons involved. I saw the Instagram post. <laughs> Busted. At, Yours I'm was definitely higher budget than mine, Rob. <laughs> First thing. <laughs> so, are you ready to play, Hung? Are you? Have you got yeah. it on your end? Uh-huh. Okay, I'm gonna go three, two, one, play. Cool. And I see, I see Rob with a car full of, I think, helium balloons that balloons. are orange. What do you see, Hung? Okay, now next scene, there's a Kodak and some thumb drives. Oh, now there's some yellow paper being cut. It's the same yellow as like a post-it note. Oh, Oh, and there is a bone folder. Good, because I was hoping we'd be able to talk about the bone folder. I thought it was just filler text. There's an envelope and a USB. And he's making a little... Are these Hardly. going out into the world? Oh, this is exciting. Says oh. open me, little package. Oh, he's going to float a bunch of little um, USB drives out into the Floating world. Floating them little, out there. The, the children. Video. Nice, and we have some Spanish. Is that open me in Spanish? It is. And then here Rob it is. It looks windy. Launching them oh, into yeah, the air. Oh, yeah, launching them into the air. I think that's going to make it about 50 feet. Now there it goes. <laughs> At first, it looked like it was going to land in Rob's neighbor's backyard. So this is the first, this is the test flight, and then I have a couple more flights. Rob has some fancy neighbors and some knifey neighbors. There's a palm tree. It's um, right next to like a a pine tree. Um, and there's some... There's, yeah, there's the hill. It looks very California. Yeah, this is... Uh, Are you in California? Uh, I am in okay. Los Angeles. Yeah. You live on Elm Street, right? Wow. Uh, welcome to my nightmare. Yeah, I, I happen to know this is just right out in front of Rob's house. And yeah. he's he's launched a USB drive out into the world on an orange balloon. Hung, do you, do you get any meaning out of the orange color? What do you think? Um, I think it's really nice against the blue background. True that. And then the other thing I'm digging about this, I think, so, so Hung, if you don't already know, Rob, he's sort of a Pied Piper in his neighborhood, so there's little children kind of walking in and out of his house all the time. And I, and I think I can hear little children dancing around Rob's knees out of the camera angle. Uh, I lost you at Pied Piper because I never really figured out what that phrase meant. So now, I'm oh, like, like you know, like playing a little flute and little children, imagining children floating in and out of his house. Is, <laughs> it's is freaky, like, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he, he just, I, I believe when I've experienced Rob's house, it is a refuge for children that um are bored or would like a snack <laughs> or whatever else. And so, oh, okay. Can, so can, the balloons were fun. Yeah, I, can I like any. I like anything peeping. with balloons. So indeed, all good. Yeah, I mean, my work is usually so overthought. Like, and I was just like, I want a piece that could just that I don't have control over. So I was biking home in the wind, and it was super, super windy, like really, really harshly windy. And so, uh, 
and I saw like a plastic bag blow like right into my face, <laughs> and uh, and then I was like, oh, the wind, like that's so dreamy. And, <laughs> Wait, and, did like, it really blow in your face, and you had that it realization? Because <laughs> <laughs> it did, yeah. It's very um, cinematic. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was gross, but it, it was also cinematic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What kind of bag was it? <laughs> like a like a black plastic, you know, like liquor store bag. Yep, yep. Well, you know, I also wonder, because when Hogan was doing her show at Dead Tech, she was doing that uh, radio receiver thing on the end of a balloon, right? Yeah, with the yeah. balloon. So I, I wonder if that, if that influenced you, whether consciously or subconsciously. Oh, that's nice. So you, I hope you might be seeing the same thing. I am there. It's like maybe a little bit less windy right now, and they're being There's launched. There's lots of balloons being launched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so each of these have a USB card in a text in Spanish and English that ask you to uh, put things on the card that you like and send it back to me. Uh, nice. But mail it back, not by balloon. Yeah, there, there's a self-addressed <laughs> stump envelope in the, in the card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then there was a camera one that I couldn't send because I didn't have enough balloons. So I was like, damn it, I really want to do this. So I went and got more balloons uh, later. Mm-hmm. And so there's a video coming up that you're about to see of me launching the camera. Okay. A, a camera like a little, what were those things called? Just a, a straight to USB out camera? This is like a disposable, like like one that you would mail in and like get the cameras, get the images back. But a digital. Oh, but okay. they, would, they would mail the camera to me and then I would get it processed. Digital or actual film? I think it's actual actual film. Nice. Yeah. They still make them, yeah. It's yeah. actually kind of hard to find a place that'll do that now. Yeah. Oh, there's yeah. a um, what is that place? Central Camera. They still do mm-hmm. all of that film stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a super like grungy old people camera place that has all the. Awesome. I I sent one of my students over there to get. There was some camera that you could really easily retro engineer, uh, just to turn into a digital camera for your own use. If you hacked it, so I had a student go in there and ask for it, and they knew exactly what he was trying to do the second he showed up. Uh, So when you see the white balloons, let me know. This is like that one's for real, man. Yeah, that's going to go. Yeah, that one's going up beyond the atmosphere. Uh oh. Nope. Or maybe Uh, not as heavy. Straight to the tree. Look at Charlie Brown. It's really ah. nice up there because it's really cloudy. Okay, what I'm seeing is this, like, the sky. I think it's a different day. It's really cloudy, you know, and then and then the balloons, it's like another cloud, but it, you know, gets stuck in the tree. Okay, here it goes. It's getting relaunched. So this is, I've now added 24 more balloons. Wow. I'm surprised it, it's not going up faster, man. Is it that heavy? This is really because breaking I went, the bank. Oh, I went and to then there's yellow, yeah, there's yellow balloons at the top. <laughs> It's nice, just like as as an image, it's really nice. Is that yeah? And what, thank you. And what cardinal direction is that, Rob? Is that away from north. the coast? Oh, it's north. Yeah, north northeast, sort of. Oh, weird. I would have assumed that air would be what with the jet stream and all. I know. Yeah, it's weird. The way you said jet stream. <laughs> mm. Oy. So NASA. <laughs> <laughs> So I found out the hard way that different balloons have a, a different mix of helium and oxygen. Right. Um, so I went to Balloon Emporium, which I, this is not an ad Should for, but I, I wholly support. <laughs> They're not open on Sunday. And so, um, 
I had to go to, uh, and they closed quite early on Saturday. So I had I went to Balloon Emporium closes early on Saturday. I find that they to do. be a, a, a very poor a business decision. There, <laughs> it's a miscalculation for sure on their part. I think so, that's a business opportunity. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so speaking of the Pied Piper, I got as you saw in the video. I, I launched 24 white balloons with a camera attached and in less than 15 seconds got it immediately stuck in a tree. Yes. (laughs) And my neighbors, who are the best neighbors ever, and my other neighbor, the woman who owns that tree, all helped me in a a life-risking fashion involving very tall ladders and sticks and high wind conditions to try to get the balloon wad out of the tree Mm-hmm. and we epically failed and then by chance there's a knock on my door and my neighbor and friend who is eight says <laughs> we have your balloons and and they have the balloons and so i'm not quite sure what happened except i think maybe the balloons fell out of the tree well, but then of course so. some yeah. so many were popped that i couldn't launch them because like four four had popped and so then i got 24 more because i was I what I wanted to do was save twelve to launch for my neighbors to launch for themselves, you know, so they could make a drawing or something. Yeah. But but the twenty four I got were so wimpy and weak that I had to use <laughs> all twenty four to launch my camera. So I owe them See, a fun time. Folks, of this is the reason drawing. why we have a global helium shortage. Why why, you, why your why your cat scan costs so much? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. They were expensive those balloons. So anyway, I did. I was able to launch the camera. Um, uh, I don't care. You pick has has been made manifest. I I don't know if I'm going to get anything back from anyone. Yeah. This could be the. It could well, just you, be a pure performance. You already performance got something back from your neighbors. That very true. Very love, true. Bro. I think I think love. this is. I think this is more about the neighbors. It's a. It's a um, it's uh an after wait what is it like a PR campaign about getting to know your neighbors? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's true. Create like like miniature uh uh tragedies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm imagining what, what is it Munchausen syndrome? Like you could just have this whole you could find out what tools every neighbor has in their garage and then have some kind of mini crisis right in front of them. Like, oh, if only someone had a weed whacker and a, yeah. and a miter saw. Yeah. <laughs> we could get this child unstuck. Yep. Yep. Very good. You know, I mean, like the balloon launch, oh, it's, you know, it's such a one of those uh, wonderful childhood memories that now I don't know how to reconcile knowing that the balloon launch is like, I don't know, environmentally mm-hmm. bad mm-hmm. or I don't, I forget what they do. Did they, what is it? Is, do they get like caught up with, with birds or do birds like what, what happens with the balloons? There's a couple of things. I, I did research this a little bit because I, I did have that same paranoia of like, what am, you know, it seems so chill and it sure. was very chill. And I've never done anything like throw a note in a bottle in the ocean or anything like that. And so, but I will say like the euphoria of letting a balloon go with a message on it is really, really awesome. Um, I did not use Mylar balloons. Uh, I didn't use Mylar balloons because I had heard that they get stuck in electric lines and cause major problems. Um, I don't know if that's totally true or not, but it seemed true enough. And so I... Uh, 
um, decided to use latex balloons because at least I thought, especially in the Southern California sun, they would break up into small enough pieces that I wouldn't feel too horribly bad about it. Oh, okay. That's what it is. And they seem to not be going very far. <laughs> no diss. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't expect, yeah. I don't expect someone in like Barstow, California to be mailing me anything. Back. Yep. Well, Hung, why don't we do you next and I'll go last. What do you okay, say? Okay. Yeah. So, um, okay. So to preface this, it's not really to preface it, but it's more just like the, kind of things that I was thinking about, you know, before mm-hmm. I made this. Um, I was thinking about, I really liked the way that the previous guest framed the project. I forget what his name is. Nick Bontrager. Bontrager. Bon- yep. So I liked how he talked about random numbers or not really random or semi-random or something like that, you know, because mm-hmm. I was already thinking about that. Like the moment you sent me the text about it, I was like, oh, randomness, that is not actually random, you know? But, Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think within that is this whole idea that sometimes random numbers get presented as something that is actually random when all random numbers have some kind of limitation to them, you know? Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was talking to Daniel, my partner, about this, and we were talking about, like, you know, he brought up a few really great examples about, uh, you know, randomness in the literature of economics, which is his field, you know. And one of the really great ones was about the uh, there, how there's a world champion for rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> when you think about it, it shouldn't have a world champion because sure. it's random, right? You know? Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right? But there is. So that's a really one really nice example. The other example... Can I throw something uh, in there real quick? I seem yeah. to remember there was also... Uh, there was a robotics team that made a robot that could always win at rock, paper, scissors because it would analyze your hand as you were starting to throw the sign. And it could tell just from mm. your initial muscle flexing uh, what, what sign you're about to throw. So it would win every time. Hmm. Yeah, that's I guess cool. that's kind of like close to the what a human might do, you know, but mm-hmm. kind of, I don't know. Cheating. <laughs> no, but a human, I mean, like when you're playing rock, paper, scissors, you you read the other person, you know, right. you, you mm-hmm. kind of can kind of tell what they're going to do based on their other actions. So that's close to the robot. Oh, but mm-hmm. the other example that he was telling me about is how people, uh, okay, this is like really general and like, you know, I'm sorry, I lost all of the details, but how um, there are some companies that will pay people to choose a random number because they don't trust a random number generator. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that, is it the opposite? I don't know. But anyways, it's like this funny thing where, you know, it's all about kind of, you know, trusting people to be random or knowing that that it's maybe not just random, but that there's this one source and you know things actually not being random anyways Mm -hmm. so that was a really fun conversation that we had um and so i was also thinking about some really uh intense real world 
aspects of random numbers. The first one being like how the Bitcoin is like completely based on, you know, these prime numbers that are used for security. Because, you know, if you were to just create a random number generator, it's based on something that can easily be figured out unless you have a really nice prime number, you know. So like this, like this, the, this entire economy that's just based on trying to find something that is not as random as possible, but where you can't figure out the origin of its, uh, you know, its random algorithm or whatnot. Uh, uh -huh. The other yeah, thing yeah. that the, the I... seed? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The other thing that I was thinking of is like stop and frisk, you know, this program <laughs> in New York where it's like supposed to be based on choosing a random person from the street and, you know, <laughs> checking to make sure they don't have any drugs or whatever. And right. how it's, you know, it's shown to absolutely not be random. So um, so that, like this one, especially Stop and Frisk, is what I was thinking of when I created this uh, project. So I will send you the URL. Awesome. Ooh. And it's very much, it's a very functional uh, project. Um, cool. It's just one page, one page online. And let's see. And you can make it into a bit.ly or just share it like this. Can I just send it over the Skype window? Sure, sure. Okay, cool. So I was thinking about how, you know, like the, your guest last week, he was like, okay, what if it's something that can help you as a show choose your future projects or whatnot and i was thinking about it as a kind of pedagogical tool that you could use like for instance let's say in your uh, classroom or like awesome. you know because i mean there's it's always it's always this really silly thing where it's like oh well i would i would show more um you know, yeah. more artists of color or more women artists, but I just don't know them or whatever. So this is kind of like, okay, no more excuses. Can I describe this? Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah let, let, let me describe it real quick. So, so this is, the reason I'm laughing is that this is going to be so useful in my classroom. <laughs> so all the page says is women and trans artists of color database. You have one option, which is a button that says choose. And then every time I click it, it brings up a different person in Google, uh, presumably that fits those characteristics. And then down below, there's an opportunity to submit the names of female or trans artists of color that you want to add. Really great. Really great. So, Hong, carry on. I just want oh, to throw okay. that out yeah. there. So that's it. You described it perfectly. I mean, the database right now is like a list that I've generated. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's completely not random. It's something that I've just pulled from whatever sources I could think of for something that produced a really nice range of artists that fit this category. Um, and it is something that like I, you know, it, it would be great to have this uh, where you could see the entire list if you wanted to. So then if you're adding other artists, then, you know, you know which ones have are already part of the database. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, very simple, does one thing. <laughs> really um, well. <laughs> really cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. 
And um, yeah, I'll just walk you through the process of making it, which was, you know, uh, going back and reminding myself how to write JavaScript <laughs> through all of the various, you know, tutorials online and stuff. I mean, I used to do a lot of coding and now it's super rusty. But one thing that was so funny is that I found it to be so hard to find a place just to upload this one single, you know, single page because now like my own website, it's on Squarespace. Like you can't do this. You can't host HTML pages on Google Drive or Dropbox anymore. So I had to go through all of these options and I finally did it on GitHub, which is like, ugh, I tried GitHub a long time ago and it's, it's still scary to me. I still have like PTSD, but I did it <laughs> for you guys. <laughs> So wow, this is really cool. Yeah, so when you hit mm. choose, just to describe a little bit more, when you hit choose, at least in my browser, a new tab is opened. And there's a phrase that's loaded into Google that is a person's name. And sometimes it might be a phrase. And I assume that like I'm getting an, a person's name with the word artist at the end, which maybe gives it the Google search result a little bit more specificity. Yeah, right, just to too. clarify it a bit. That's really great. And the submit... Um, looks like it goes to your email it's address. just an email address it's very very you know low technology that's cool too I mean I think it seems like a human touch there might be good just to in case you were like if you got like a weird I don't like it seems like it's a it's a little bit like a database of someone's of people's names is always a little bit sketchy so it's nice to have like a human human mm-hmm. touch in there mm-hmm. to kind of make sure everything is is kosher that is awesome it's just and it's only what needs to be there and it's way out front like this is this is a group of names that hung nose (laughs) it's a starting place but i was talking to uh walter katundu and i have to make sure i'm pronouncing his last name right he's someone i'm going to try to get for a future episode who was working as a visiting artist at columbia but i was talking to him about diversity programming and he was saying, you know, diversity programming should often feel uncomfortable. <laughs> yep. And so he was really pushing against the notion like, okay, we have our diversity officer, so everyone can, you know, back to business as normal. And I, I feel like, um, yeah, it's not universal and it's not perfect and it's not truly random, like Hong's saying, but the way to get representation is to get this, it's like halfway between crowdsourcing and curation, and I, it's great. And I, I'm, and this is a tool I can actually use. Um, I'm really excited about it. Okay. Oh, yeah, it's really cool. It's cool. Mm-hmm. It is, I mean, it is, it, like Taylor and I have had many conversations about who, even with a podcast like this that has like 180 listeners an episode or whatever, like you we are making you choices. Every yes, we do. You you're making choices about who you're foregrounding or who you're, mm-hmm. you know, speaking with or whatever, and so like it it's important even at a small scale to just be thinking through like who whose work, and this goes back to Taylor saying of like who do we just want to be hanging out with, you know, like yep. and, and who does, whose work do we like and and how do we sort of be thoughtful about who we pick? So that's cool, really cool. Cool, man, awesome. Okay, so uh, let me show you guys some stuff um mine might take a little bit more narration than everybody okay. else's but so so i had two arms to my project initially i was thinking about oblique strategies and yeah 
For those that are unfamiliar, right, this was Brian Eno. And, and do you guys remember who the collaborator was with Brian Eno? Peter Schmidt, I believe. Oh, Peter Schmidt. Excellent. So I'm uploading It's like Marx and for... Engels, you know, Peter, Sh- yep. poor Peter yep. Schmidt. Always <laughs> poor Peter. Forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm uploading uh, images for these guys, but I'm not going to talk about them just yet. Um, so initially I was thinking about oblique strategies and I thought, well, I've been really into, so I did this panel at the College Art Association this year um, where it turned me on to, and I think we might have talked about this previously, but it turned me on to critical making. Uh, There was this piece, critical making, which I think was a series of 10 zines, and it was coming out of a couple of academic outlets, and it was uh, Garnet Hertz, right, who was responding to Mm -hmm. Reddo's use of the term in 2007, so kind of trying to think about how uh, critical thinking stacks up against critical making, right? And how critical thinking seems like a totally sensical term, uh, but critical making did not. And so I was trying to approach oblique strategies, which is usually stuff like do it backwards or um, like do it on, you know, upside down or (laughs) like these really sort of oblique strategies. And I was trying to think of how to make them really um, specific and practical So I was coming at it from this idea of like orthogonal strategies, and I was just trying to come up with a list of suggestions that I had when working in the woodshop that were sort of creative or um, philosophical in nature, but but, but definitely really practical. So there were things like stuff that I do, like the second I make my second big mistake, I always quit for the day. You know, that was one. Uh-huh. Um, there's That's other smart. stuff like try to end the day on a solution rather than a problem because then you're happy all night and you're excited to get back <laughs> to it the next day. Uh, and then there's really direct stuff. Like if you think something might be hot, test the heat with the back of your hand instead of your palm, because you can't keep working if you burn your palm. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, wow. Th- yeah, seriously, put that in your pipe and smoke it. There was stuff like um, avoid the temptation to save code iterations with names like newtest12.py. Uh, the process of articulating questions online will often offer insight or fully answer that very question. And then uh, one that I was really excited to put down was uh, if the whole internet hasn't figured out your question yet, you probably haven't either. Unless you have, then good job. So so I was working on this project with uh, this grad student of mine, uh, Woody. And so he's he's making this big, he, he comes from the sort of like a letterpress background. So he's making the equivalent of a typing uh, keyboard. It's called a, a California case, if I'm not mistaken, uh, where you would actually pull out the metal letters and then arrange them to make you know physical um, prints. And so he's making one that's, a digital version where you interrupt these beams of light so you reach your fingers into the same boxes you would normally use to pull out a metal character, but in this case it's digital. Um, And so he came up with this thing uh, while we were working together to, it's a Python script to help a particular version of the Arduino Mega act like a keyboard, which it can't do natively. And as we were working on the solution, I was saying, well, dude, we, we can't find the solution anywhere online, so I'm really doubt, doubtful that we figured it out, but we did. <laughs> wow, nice. So I was like, hey, good job. Uh, so, so good job, Woody. Anyway, so so I, I had a whole list of these, and I was kind of going through them, and I felt like there was some cool stuff in there, but I'm just, I'm no writer, uh, and I felt unsatisfied. So, so the thing that I wound up on, uh, which it was kind of a return to code, if you guys take a look at the first uh, image I uploaded, I took a um, 
a metal pipe, and this had been this was an attachment of a friend of mine, Brian Stansberry, at the Art Institute. And Hung, you might remember Brian as well. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, who I think is now in Baltimore, but but he had made a spring-loaded attachment for the CNC that you could put a big pen into, so that you could use the CNC as a big uh, plotting machine. So I reverse engineered it a little bit and swapped that out for an etching needle, so the same oh, kind okay. you use for um, like dry point on a copper sheet. And then you guys are seeing the results of those experiments. Okay. So why don't you go ahead and describe them? Uh, yeah, the first one is a copper plate. It's secured with a screw, and then in the middle there's an etched out, looks like a target circle with the crosshairs in the middle, and then it's secured by what looks like some, some wood around it. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, it looks like the the print that came from that, which is, um, uh, looks like it's... Um, like with beveled edges and it's inked with black on on paper. Oh, it looks like nice paper. What did you use? What kind of paper did you use? Uh, this so this is a shout out to Megan Sterling at the uh, at the print shop at Columbia. So she hooked me up because I had it, it had been twenty years since I did uh, this kind of printing. So I'll have to ask. But mm -hmm. uh, but it was it was whatever paper she provided. Yeah. And then the next one is. It's like 2.0. It's like a really <laughs> advanced kind of this gorgeous isometric uh, drawing. with. It's like 3D Tetris, something like that, yeah. you know, with uh -huh. these yep. objects that are coming uh, in the, towards the bottom right of the paper. And then you see the, the uh, you know, the, the uh, printed version of that. Indeed, yeah. Uh, what was the decision making that was going on? Is this the randomness? Yeah, I was curious about that too. Yeah. yeah, so so one of the things I've really enjoyed about this podcast is that um, I have this ongoing deadline right every two weeks, and so in a lot of cases I'm returning to. In some cases, it's ideas that are brand new, but in other cases, it's something that's been sitting and waiting for instigation to move the process you know a, a significant step forward so i'd been playing around in processing and later with grasshopper in terms of these semi-random arrangements of isometric cubes but i hadn't really been sure about the output because i find digital printing kind of cold and so this was an opportunity once i realized the cnc was a good fit for this kind of production i like the way that the sort of classical printing method uh, brought some warmth back, in, back into the process. So there's a bunch of moments where I'm relinquishing control. First of all, I give the control over to the computer, and that's you know debatable as to whether I'm losing control or not because the computer is you know, supposedly so good at reproducing um, instructions. But then again, I'm not doing this by hand. I'm The, the computer's doing it. But then at the same time, because this has been sort of in process for about 10 years, you know, Brian Stansbury made the original attachment. I modified it to put the needle in, but that I had a student in one of my classes who was at a stopping point in his work. So I tasked him with sort of finishing off this attachment. Uh, I worked with the shop staff to get it integrated with the tool correctly. I worked with Megan Sterling um, in the printing process, which I was really unfamiliar with. So, so there were all these different hands in the mix. And I think that, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's the most honest way that an artist works, right? I mean, clearly, Hoang, when you were 
researching those, um, when you were looking through those kind of colonialist documents, there's a lot of people participating in your work. And I think that there's a pressure on us to carve out a space and say, this is me, you know, this is mine. But then at the end of the day, it's just this kind of cast of thousands and you dip in there for a moment and add your particular flavor. So, so I just really enjoyed being super honest about that. Like here's all these different people. Not only is it processing doing something semi-random, but it's like five or six different people, some of whom are in a position above me, you know, and some of whom are in position below me in a very uh, stupid way of assessing those things. <laughs> Does that make sense, right? Like mm -hmm. there's students in there working, there's staff in there working, faculty, other uh, friends that are artists uh, to get to that result. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I, I mean, I really think... <clears throat> I had this epiphany, and I'm sure this is a very low bar epiphany for a multitude of people. But, Bring but like on. you know the like phrase, "pull yourself up by your bootstraps." Sure. You know, and it's like okay, but then like someone actually made those bootstraps and designed them so that you could do that, right? Like, <laughs> oh, but like, sorry to interrupt. Um, no, no, sorry. no. Go ahead. I yeah. was just yeah. talking to uh, someone to uh, a few people about this phrase and how. It was uh, coined by Benjamin Franklin, and oh, the thing mm. about his success is that it's all due to like his sister and his wife and their incredible yep. support and labor. So, mm. yeah, this is nice. part of a entire mythology of, of you know this kind of individual uh, labor and you know genius. That yeah, it needs to be undone for sure. Yeah, pull yourself up by your bootstraps that your sister and wife made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, wow, and, wow. and of course, part of the the point of that old saw is that it's impossible to do, uh, and it is indeed impossible to do. <laughs> right, Taylor. I I have I have a nerdy question for you. Bring it on. About the modification to make the etching. Mm -hmm. I my my. I think that's super rad, and I am um, I am a fan of the Axie Draw, which is um, like an evil mad scientist sure. libraries. Mm -hmm. Like it's like a CNC machine for for paint pens and markers, mm -hmm. and um, it's really super cool. And um, I had been curious about something very similar to what you just did for a long time. Um, so I'm all like, oh wow, he did it, he did it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. um, the it seems like hard on, on your CNC machine because of the drag. Mm -hmm. Is it just so light in copper that it doesn't? It's not that actually big of a deal at all, or is it? Um, so you do have to do multiple passes, or, or uh, no, no. So, so, so my understanding is that there's two main ways to go about making an etching plate. So copper, of course, is soft, yeah. and then you have a steel needle. So I got like a really El Cheapo needle. And the, if you imagine, take a, a a steel tube that's half an inch in diameter, and then the interior diameter, of course, is less. Yeah. And then if you come up with an additional tube that nests really well in that master tube, okay. uh, so it kind of slides down in there, you cut you cut the larger tube in such a way that you leave a burr on it. So if you slide a smaller tube inside, it can't fall out the bottom. Okay. So if you have a couple of those pieces... You can so this was originally made for a Bic pen, right? So if you imagine jamming a Bic pen into that smaller tube, and then sliding both of those into the larger tube, it's going to allow just a small part of the Bic pen to protrude. Yep. 
And then on the back end, you make a little plug that's similarly sized to the interior diameter and put a spring on it. So depending on how long you make the master tube and how hard the spring is, you can um, adjust what the tension of that spring is going to be. Oh. And so, so what I had my student Michael working on was he threaded the inside of the large tube and then we ran a, a bolt into it and then ground down the head until it was the same diameter as the threads themselves. And the nice thing was that the collet on the CNC machine could accept a half-inch diameter. So we could just stick this thing in and pretend like it was any other CNC uh, end mill. But then when we were calculating the tool paths, we just told it not to... We, we told it to spin the, the, um, uh, the cutting motor at zero, basically. So you just... Wow. Did, so in, in other cases, you would have had to like strap it to the side of the thing. But in yeah. this case, we just inserted it right in there. So... This was, if I understand correctly, this was dry point where we just had a piece of copper and yep. you're scratching pretty deep. Um, so what that means is that you had really high burrs and um, sort of surprisingly, even though it's a computerized approach, the lines are pretty hairy, right? So you get a lot of, um, some people might say it's like a warmth in the line. Some people just might say it's a bad print. <laughs> and those... And those burrs will get knocked down as they subsequently run through the press. So, so the next test is to back the spring temp, um, the spring tension way off, and then to try running this with a sheet of resist applied. So you're just barely scraping off the resist, and then you go through a chemical etch, and that may produce a much finer result. It's not going to have those hairy edges on the print. Wow, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, I've worked really mostly neat. the second way with the resist mm -hmm. and using the um, dry point tool. And, I, you know, one thing that you could try with this is that the fun part of the resist is that you can, or with this in general with printmaking, is that you have like a, like a finished version here. You know, it's like the composition is very full. But you could try something where you do like one shape, print that, and then uh, run it through the thing again, add in another shape, print that, and then, you know, keep going with it and keep layering it so that sure. you then have like all of these, you know, different prints that show the phases that it, it goes through, you know? And then, I mean, and then within that, there's like um, so many different variations. Printmaking is actually a really interesting one to do in relationship to algorithms, like in a soloic kind of way, thinking about all of the different variations. Because when you think about it, it's like there's so many different variations, like in printmaking, you know, just as far as like the way that you're using the ink, whether you're doing it as a relief or um, putting the ink in the, you know, in the grooves of the plate. Uh, different color combinations, working with different papers, you know, there's so many different mm -hmm. variations. So yeah, this totally. could be really fun to experiment more with and to yeah, think I, about I, it in this like time-based way. I think it could certainly occupy, yeah, months at this point. So <laughs> this was a great example of a project where, I mean, I, I think I got this start, I, I got this done because I had the design already, I got it done between like 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. <laughs> wow. So it's a funny example of working all week. Like, oh my God, oblique strategies, <laughs> what am I going to do? And then I just, it was like, yeah, I think it was Wednesday. 
because I thought initially we were taping on Thursday and um, it just came out really fast. So that was that was great. That's great. That's awesome. Wow. Excellent. Oh, man. Great yeah. show, dudes. Mm. Yeah, I don't care. You pick. We nailed it. Yep, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Nice. Now, Hung, do you, do you realize what's next? The, the most crucial Wait, part is on the is agenda. It says that now we're going to talk about bone folders, which <laughs> I was oh, promised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we so so we we Rub. could do the what we're into phase of the podcast, or yeah, we could do, do uh, let's or do we could do what, let's do what we're into. Okay, cool. Um, uh, I could go. I could go first. I guess. Uh, the, I only have one. I have a couple things, I guess. The, the, but the one item I have is is the bone folder, and the bone folder uh, is really cool. Uh, my partner Jen introduced me to this really neat device. Um, it is called a bone folder because it's made out of bone. Um, you can also get them made out of plastic, but there are some actual kind of structural reasons why they're made out of bone. Um, I made the little yellow foldover postcards in my project with the bone folder, um, and what you, how you use it is you uh bookmakers i think especially you know you're folding paper a lot and what you want when you fold a piece of paper over is a very clean edge on your fold or or what you might want is a very clean edge on your fold um and for a couple reasons one is you know your it takes up less vertical space so you can sort of pack more pages into your book if they have a very clean edge in it and it just looks nice right um and uh, a bone folder just to describe it a little bit is it looks like a giant uh, popsicle stick or like a tongue depressor. I don't even know if they make those like wooden tongue depressors, but yeah. I think of it as a giant popsicle stick kind of shape. Um, and the what is nice about it being made out of bone is it's extremely rigid. So like you could really bear down on it if you want to, and it's not going to bend really at all because it's as as um, rigid and secure as a as your your own bone is and these are i think they're typically made out of cow bone um and you know a bone is there it's highly polished bone so it's extremely smooth so it it rolls quite smoothly over cardstock and it doesn't sort of mar or discolor the paper in a way that plastic or something might and so um it's a really really cool device if you buy one uh it will last you a lifetime uh again my partner jen has a couple and she is working with that tool um probably at least a weekly basis if not almost daily and uh it has a really nice wear mark in it um where you can kind of see that she's used it a ton which is a, a really beautiful and neat aspect of the tool um and i'll link to one in the show notes so if someone wants to uh get one i'll i'll share the one i have and if if hunger taylor you have one as well i could share that one as well um so i have a bone folder story <laughs> All right. Naturally. <laughs> it's a short story. So there's a there's this art supply store, Canal. Uh, I think it's called Canal. Wait, it's the one on in New York on Canal. I can't remember what what it's called now, but it was there forever. It just recently closed down, unfortunately, because that area is going through, like, massive gentrification. But, okay, I used to go to the store, like, weekly and ask for a bone folder because I really wanted a bone folder. And every week they were like, oh, we're out. We're going to order new ones. I kept going <laughs> and going and going. And then the damn place closed down. I was like, fuck. I'm sorry. I'm never going to get my bone folder. Oh, and then so I just recently bought one. And I have to say, like, I'm so happy to have one now. My own. 
that's my story. And you can edit that out. It's not that great. No, no, no. It's great. No, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So do I go now my list of things that I'm into? For sure. Um, so I, um, oh, so I wanted to bring up another project that involves randomness that, um, that I have been, uh, it's a project that I've had going for 12 years now. And it's, uh, it could be a fun one for your audience. It's called the dream machine. And it's a, um, it's an archive, a dream archive and exchange and it's one where you uh, just call a number and record your dream, like the dream that you had last night while you were sleeping. Whoa. And then it calls you back with somebody else's dream. It chooses from the database randomly, quote, unquote. Um, so, <laughs> That's I, awesome. <laughs> so I just wanted to send this out there in the world if anybody's interested in it. It's 877-877-5602. It's just a fun one in thinking about random things. But as far as things that I'm interested in these days, okay, so connected to Chance the Rapper. I've been really yeah. into No Name, who is a um, musician, uh, rapper coming out of Chicago, and her work is really gorgeous. It's been giving me a lot of hope and inspiration in these times. Um, I've also, oh, oh, okay. So this is connected to the whole stand-up comedy thing, which I was really sad that I didn't get, actually. I was really sad I didn't sign up for that slot after I found <laughs> out about it. But I've been listening to a lot of Two Dope Queens, which is a really fantastic podcast. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and then also I saw Laurie Anderson the other night. And, um, and so... Were you guys hanging out or something? We were just, you know, kicking it, you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I went to see her live. She's amazing. But she started the set with, uh, I really wanted to do a stand-up comedy act tonight but I only know two jokes. And of course, in a very Laurie Anderson way, her entire act ended up being stand-up comedy. It was hilarious wow. and dark and, you know, all of the those amazing things. Mm -hmm. um, and then as far as reading, right now I'm in the middle of reading uh, this book called Discipline and the Other Body, Correction, Corporeality, and Colonialism. It's edited by Stephen Pierce and Anupama uh, Rao, and mm. I recommend it. It's really amazing. Yeah, cool. Wow, that's a hell of a list. That's awesome. That's a great list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for sharing those. It's a really important part of the podcast, in my opinion. Like, I think it's like a thing that is just really nice, and I feel like in the air, like in the post blog internet world, like we kind of get so little of that these days. Um, we get a lot of opinions, but not a lot of things that we love or like. And so it's really nice to, to hear those. So thanks. It's fun. Yeah. Taylor? Taylor? Well, I'm just going to follow it up with some sort of uh, schadenfreude snark. I've shared with you guys this link. So have you been following the whole thing with Juicero? <laughs> yes. No, what is Juicero? So, so Juicero, if you follow this link. So Juicero is this uh, startup that got, I think it was $120 million in funding and they spent it all before they uh do i have to say allegedly all the time like i don't even know so are we journalists now rob 
<laughs> anyway, so, so there's this there's this device the Juicero, and you buy these really special juice packs in Mylar, and you stick it in the Juicero, and it squishes them, and it makes you juice, and it reads the QR codes, and all this sort of high tech stuff. Oh my but god, also, are you serious? It's like a smart juicer. It's like seven hundred bucks. Yeah, it's an Internet wow. of Juice. And I think it. I think the price dropped after people started getting freaked out. But the thing was that um, if you just take the bag and squeeze it with your hand, you can do <laughs> the exact same thing. So there's this really, I believe I got to this through Ars Technica, this great Chicago-based um, art and technology uh, journalism outlet. But if you look at this um, uh, blog.bolt.io, this guy does a teardown, kind of like uh, what's the big teardown site that does all the new Apple products? Is it just I teardown or something? I I forget. But um, so this guy tears that tears down the Juicera and, and comes from supposedly a really you know intense uh, industrial design background and really talks about all of these ridiculous decisions that were made throughout the design, uh, which include things like a lot of custom CNC parts, and then there's some. He basically talks about how the design is too good, right? Because <laughs> all this thing is doing is just squishing a plastic bag. But it does it, you know, with this big, like, custom gear motor, and there's all these parts. I think he goes into this whole thing about how there's multiple melted plastics where you have to have these really special dyes that can cast a plastic on top of another plastic, and... um I don't know. Just take a look, but it's like it's it's industrial fetishism to the extreme, even <laughs> as it's also taking the piss out of this company for making these ridiculous choices. So like the choices are so good they're bad. But but I found this thing really incredible to follow, and instead of just being that sort of standard issue, oh let's laugh at a Silicon Valley startup, this is a really really w- thoroughly researched version of laughing at a. Silicon Valley startup. So. <laughs> so that's what I, I fix it. At. I I fix it. I think is the I fix it. That's what I was looking yeah. for. Exactly, Rob. <clears throat> I think. Um. Yeah. I I followed that a little bit. And I I I was just like. I mean, I am a a master of brainstorming something that could totally be solved by something way simpler. Like it's yeah. like it's totally my coding style. Is <laughs> like yeah. like let me make this like ridiculously overbuilt thing in order to do something that like if I had just read the documentation, the thing already does or something, but, um, mm-hmm. um, at the Juicera, right. You, I, I, there, I imagine there's some sort of like, uh, you get these bags of fruit or something to, mm-hmm. to stick in the Juicero, And then the Juicero sort of is a, I mean, uh, like a motorized clamp that kind of squishes the bag and out comes your juice. Right. And I mean, it, I, uh, I can't help but be like, you know, like the point of drinking, having a juicer is that you're using fresh fruits and yeah. vegetables to, yep. <laughs> to make the juice with. And like, uh, you know, getting on a subscription based, like uh, cryogenically or like whatever packed bags of fruit just seems like really missing the point. Like, mm-hmm. um, they can, you know, I don't know, like, it seems not too hard to, like, core an apple and throw it in there as opposed to, like, I just don't have time to do that. But, yeah, I, oh, know. maybe our next challenge, well, see, we can't suggest the challenge, so this is out, but but imagine if Oh, don't worry. Make... The, oh, don't worry. <laughs> oh, good. good I got imagine it. Imagine if it was, it. like, <laughs> a 
What if we all had to make the cheapest possible Juicero? <laughs> Taylor, maybe you and I should just try to do that anyway on the yeah. side. Yeah, for, for yeah. A, if yeah. we ever have an audience mm. or a, a, a challenger drop out, we'll make a Juicero. I just, you know, I just feel like there are stories behind the, this Wikipedia page for it, you know, <laughs> you could dig into. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> just as far as who's writing it, the back and forth, all of these kinds of things. This is just trash, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. One sentence. There we go. <laughs> well, uh, so okay. you, you were just teasing your idea, Hung. So I, I okay. think that the time has come. What's it going to yeah. be? So, okay. You know, I have been thinking about this for a long time. I mean, not this in particular, but I've been thinking about this. The larger issue of maker culture you know this mm -hmm. maker culture mm -hmm. that we you know that we're all like engaging in part of the discourse of etc and the criticisms of it being very much geared towards a uh, white male audience and you know producers and consumers etc Mm -hmm. Yep, and there's also this really rich conversation around race right now that that has been going on that um you know, I'm sure you guys have, have been a part of in different ways. And, you know, the missing part that I see is that there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of artists or not a lot of people in general that are talking about whiteness, you know, like every time, yes. everybody, every time somebody <laughs> wants to talk about race, they choose like an ethnicity and they talk about right. that. They choose some victim of a historic event and then they do you know make a project about that so the prompt for next week is whiteness uh fantastic <laughs> <laughs> oh good luck <laughs> that's great oh my god i love it i love it yeah oh no <laughs> yeah no it's good that's good it's good <laughs> but, oh man Oh, that was great. So I'll it. stay tuned for yeah. that. Um, do you mind if I just uh, give a few, like a little bit of information about what's going on uh, with me in case people want to check please, out the show? Do. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the show is up right now. Uh, it's called To Name It Is To See It, and it's at DePaul Art Museum. And um, there is a curator's tour with Julie rodriguez Whitham on uh, May 10th this Wednesday. Oh, I don't know when this episode is going out, but it will be on May 10th, 1 p.m. Um, and then also I'll be doing a panel at uh, the museum on May 24th at 5.30, and that will be with Aramhan Sifuentes, Laura Kina, and Tempest Hazel, three amazing ladies from the Chicago area that are doing awesome, awesome stuff, and that will be moderated by Mia Lopez, who is the um, assistant curator at the museum. Cool. Nice. Yeah, that's nice. great. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and um, I've got just one more thing to finish this off, but Rob, you yeah. go first. No, 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 go for it. No, because we needed a, we needed something to chop and screw for Ken Nordine. So I was thinking that when I was a kid, I went to a non-denominational Unitarian youth group on the weekends. <laughs> nice. And, and which the Simpsons always make fun of. And so and we did a, a um we did a version of uh, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, and I think I still remember the colors from Joseph's Technicolor Dreamcoat. Are you ready to hear them in order? Oh yes, ready. Okay, so it was 
Red and yellow and green and brown and ochre and black and ochre and peach and ruby and olive, violet, fawn, lilac and gold and chocolate and mauve and cream and crimson and silver and rose and azure and lemon and resin and gray and purple and white and pink and orange and blue. Boom! Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so Rob, if you could, um, if you could chop and screw that. That, that, Wait, that can our, you that can you add music. it to this? Okay, I'm gonna go. Yes. I'm gonna go as low as I can go. Let's hear it. <laughs> okay, ready? Mm-hmm. Rob's list. Bone folders are really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow, that's just like Canardine. <laughs> we, could, we, we could drop that every time right before Rob's about to mention his picks for the uh, for the week. <laughs> Rob's list. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. What do you think, dudes? Anything whiteness. else we got to cover? Yeah, that's whiteness. right. <laughs> I have a couple. I have a. <clears throat> I have a couple of things to cover. Uh-huh. They're uh, just sort of, um, you know, putting a bow on the episode type items. Please. Uh, but they're they're always fun and cool and good. Um, so, uh, uh, Hung's website and our. Our stuff as well will be on projects.opposablepodcast.com. Um, we'll have tons of links in the show notes to all that stuff we talked about. So if you're like, what was that thing they said? Who was that? Oblique what? All that stuff will be linked in the show notes. So if you're in the podcast app or Overcast or whatever it is you use, if you just usually swipe down, uh, you'll be able to see all those links. Um, and if you go to opposablepodcast.com, you'll see those uh, show note links right there. Uh, for you to click on full of cool stuff. Um, I just uh, wanted to humble brag for a second and say that we're at about 180 or so average listens per podcast. So yeah. thank you. Thank you to everyone who's been sharing it. Um, uh, I think we're that's far just more bragging. <laughs> it, well, it, it's humble because it's not that big of a number. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but uh but but it is also just bragging and um i but you're bragging to people that are already in the know like yeah right that's right. the coolest that's you know yeah, what i mean yeah yeah <laughs> i i guess i just wanted to say like if you like this podcast please share it like mm-hmm. uh we um are a better podcast when we have a more interesting and diverse and broad set of listeners uh, and people who respond to us and stuff. So we would like to have people hear this and let them know, let us know what they think and, and help shape the podcast. Um, also, if so, you're doing thanks. your laundry right now, don't forget, I mean, separate those colors, take the time. It's that's right. It. That's right. That's it's right. Worth it. Yeah. Usually warm is a f- just fine setting. You don't have yeah. to go hot. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, a shout out to the Mighty Wolf Mask who did our logo. Uh, you can check out his great illustration work at wolfmaskart.co.uk. He's a super, super nice person and was really great to work with um, and makes really wacky and fun stuff. Um, a big shout out to uh, the Art Supply Posse, which is a cool podcast uh, who talk about art supplies and many other things. They um, were a podcast I had heard and, and definitely considered strongly when i was thinking about what this podcast could be like um and they they gave us a really super nice shout out on their latest episode and um like i had to pull my car over because i was like oh my gosh this is so cool so oh, so it was really, you have a really nice moment? 
I had a, I had a, yeah, fortunately, like with ways coming, coming back from work, you're never on the freeway in LA. You're always on like somebody's neighborhood street that they thought was quiet and peaceful. And now there's everybody on ways going through their yard. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. so I, I pulled over in a very residential neighborhood, but, but, uh, yeah, it was rad. Um, a big shout out to Luke, our latest Patreon patron. Uh, Luke is a super cool, great, amazing interactive artist and virtual reality wizard. Um, his uh, VR work is is totally amazing, and he does lots of stuff uh, for the HTC Vive, um, and it's really cool. Um, and if you'd like to join Kelly and Luke in the League of Patreon-supported badasses, uh, please go to patreon.com slash opposablethumbs to sponsor us. Uh, if you want to sponsor the podcast with a thing that you make um, or build or service you provide, we are accepting sponsorships. Um, money helps keep us... Uh, paying the bills uh, they're not big but we we would uh like to to get some help paying those bills for website hosting and rss feeds and all that kind of stuff um and we give priority to independent businesses minority owned businesses and women owned businesses so if you have something you want our very nerdy and enthusiastic listeners to know about give us a shout at opposable podcast at gmail.com uh we do have a code of conduct on the podcasts and on the website and any message boards we post in our podcast is dedicated to providing providing a harassment free experience for everyone regardless of race gender age sexual orientation disability physical appearance body size or knowledge of subject matter or religion uh we really support an inclusive environment and we want you to be a part of it uh so if we say something ridiculous and you're like what's up with that let us know uh you can check out our full code of conduct over at our site um what else? What else? I think that's it. Uh, if you want to give us a shout, um, like I said, our email is probably the easiest way right now, which is opposablepodcast at gmail.com. Um, I have some fantasy about creating some sort of forum or something, but I don't know if it's hard to get all that stuff done and do the podcast at the same time. Um, Hung or Taylor, anything else on the way out? Uh, no, that was fun. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. It's been really great to great. yeah really great to to hear about your work and be able to uh help get you know help share the word about what you're up to um your work just so i can uh let people know about it and we'll link to it in show notes is at your website uh hungno.com mm-hmm. and that's spelled h-u-o-n-g-n-g-o.com um there i have a piece that i'm super into of yours right now um uh, called the bilinguals and it's um a really cool uh investigation i guess maybe in a way <coughs> of the carolina chickadee which is uh uh has sort of two dialects uh that it can speak at the same time and um one of its own dialect and one of its kind of cousin and it can uh um is a really great investigation into language and um interrelationships connected to language i felt like in this really neat way and so if you go to her website you can see that and a whole lot more oh thank you uh that's a project that i want to to do more of and i'd love to work with other people on that so if you're a listener and you grew up in a bilingual household and uh, you'd like to make some noises for me (laughs) uh then uh yeah get get in touch with me that would be a lot of fun yeah, yeah, cool. People, please, please give her a shout. Cool. Yeah. 
Well, cool. Thanks, y'all. Whiteness is our next topic, Taylor. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) I cannot wait. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm an expert after all. (laughs) Okay, thanks a lot, everybody. Thank you. Outro music goes here. Eventually. Maybe. In the future. If we have a future. We made it more than one hour past where we were before. I guess that counts for something. Right?